Nothing to fear. It's a masterpiece. I'm to be congratulated. You? For making him write it. Oh, of course. It's a masterpiece, I say. They will cheer every word, every letter. I wish I felt that way. I believe I can put it better. Now then, attend as friend to friend our declaration committee. For us, I see immortality in Philadelphia City. A farmer, a lawyer, and a sage. A bit gouty in the leg. You know, it's quite bizarre to think that here we are playing midwives to an egg. Egg? What egg? America, the birth of a new nation. If only we could be sure of what kind of a bird it's going to be. Thomas, the point. What sort of bird shall we choose as the symbol of our new America? The eagle. The dove. The turkey. The eagle. The dove. The eagle. The eagle. The turkey. The eagle is a majestic bird. The eagle is a scavenger, a thief, and a coward. A symbol of over ten centuries of European mischief. The turkey. The turkey is a truly noble bird. Native American. Source of sustenance of our original settlers. An incredibly brave fellow who will not flinch at attacking a regiment of Englishmen. Single-handedly. Therefore, the national bird of America is going to be... The Eagle. The Eagle. We're waiting for the chirp, chirp, chirp of an eaglet being born. Waiting for the chirp, chirp, chirp on this humid Monday morning in this congressional incubator. God knows the temperature's hot enough to hatch a stone, let alone an egg. We're waiting for the scratch, scratch, scratch of that tiny little fellow. Waiting for the egg to hatch on this humid Monday morning in this congressional incubator. God knows the temperature's hot enough to hatch a stone. But will it hatch an egg? The declaration will be a triumph, I tell you, a triumph. If I was ever sure of anything, I'm sure of that. A triumph. And if it isn't, we've still got four days left to think of something else. The eagle's going to crack the shell of the egg that England laid. Yes, so we can tell, tell, tell on this humid Monday morning in this Congressional incubator. And just as Tom here has risen, though the shell may belong to Great Britain, the eagle inside belongs to us. And just as Tom here has written, we say to hell with Great Britain, the eagle inside belongs to us.
evening, everybody. Dave Cheskow Show, Dave Cheskow Podcast, an Independence Day special edition, even though this comes out after Independence Day. We are taping on the 4th of July, the greatest day in American history. It's great to be an American on a perfect day in the middle of the summer in a perfect year. I don't know what that means. Whatever. I went too far with my perfection. Uh, it's, it's probably not a perfect year, but it's still a perfect day. Uh, I don't think I haven't been outside, but I've heard it's uh, it, it, it's not as humid. So I was outside yesterday and it was hot. But the Fourth of July is supposed to be humid and it's supposed to be boiling. And it's supposed to be just sweaty and gross because uh, you know if you think about it, like Passover or something like that, it's we're supposed to remember what our forefathers went through to. To make us a free country, to make it so a Jew like myself could do a podcast at his posh Manhattan compound on a very hot day in a nice cool setting. Our forefathers, I, I, I can't even, now that my car doesn't have any air conditioning, I, I, I can't even imagine what it was never like with air conditioning. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, know, I know if you don't know anything else, but people must have... That's why people were probably dying young. I don't think it was well, the bad winters and, and really hot summers. I mean, can you imagine what a nightmare that would be if you can't get cool? You know, like when you're hot and you're just like, well, you know, I'll just go inside. Oh, God, that, that just must have been... I don't like to think about it. The only thing where it's written where people are like incredibly hot is... You know, John Adams' diaries and, and Tom, Thomas Jefferson's diaries where they, you know, would say, oh, my God, it's so hot. It's so hot on the day we decided to be independent. I was at the beach yesterday and I was expressing that exact. Uh, I don't know what you would call it. You know, I'm always stumbled for words, but that exact sentiment in the sense of when did people start saying Let's go to the beach. Um, besides knowing that there's cool, a uh, kind of a breeze at the beach, although yesterday there was not. So who decided that just laying on the sand in the heat and not kind of protecting yourself from the heat when you would think, let's build a structure where there's some shade. Uh, who decided that that was a good plan? Now, obviously, going in the ocean, you could figure is a good plan. But if you didn't know anything about science or anything, you're talking about the 1700s, around when the Declaration was signed, how do you know the ocean's a good place for you? You don't know what's in the ocean. I guess the ocean looked a lot cleaner, but it was salty, so wouldn't you say, if you didn't know any better, like, I don't know if it's a good idea, let alone you don't know what to wear. There's no proper clothing to wear at the beach. I mean, Jesus, look at the fashions only 100 years ago. People sitting in one pieces. It was so hot yesterday, even your pal Dave Juskow had to take off his top. And and it was not pretty, but you know, I had I had I had to get I'm sorry, a really low flying plane just went by and you just never see that in Manhattan. That uh it's actually a little questionable. Now it looks like a plane that, you know, is a low flying uh, plane with a, a skis or you know something like it would land on the water but that was that 
has got to make people nervous. You never see planes flying that low. I mean, it was building height. Let's see if we hear about that later. Anyway, it is the 4th of July, um, 2017. 2017. Uh, you know, some 200-odd years later. Think about it. 200 years. Really not that long ago. We talk about this sometimes. Uh, let's see, so it's not... So is it 250 years yet? I, I, I don't know. I, you know. I can't add. But probably not. We're heading up to the 250 years, but only 200 years ago, you know, less than 200. You know, you think people live to 100, and then there's only 100 more years. So 100 is not that long. Um, that all the stuff I was talking about. How do you know to go to the beach? How did you figure? Who was the first person to figure it out? You know, the beach is okay. There's usually a cool breeze there. I wonder how people figured it out, and how'd you even get there if you didn't live there? Oh, my God. I, I, I can't even think about it. When you're that hot and you're just sitting at the beach and it's quite pleasant, although, you know, it's so crowded. It's, I usually don't go on the holidays, but um, I wanted to get my friend some, uh, you know, vape cartridges, and he needed them, and he's been very nice. Uh, Dave Elliott from the Cabana. His wife and I, we're, we're going to have some problems because she's drunk and then she uh, changes personalities. I remember I've told you before, it's okay because... He hasn't changed, um, but uh, she's becoming problematic, and she's brought some friends to the beach that are nothing but nice, but um, it's, it could be considered to ruin the good time because she's very uptight. Uh, she does real estate, and if you you know say the wrong thing or whatever, I mean, just having a good time. Everybody's drunk. I mean, that's one of the reasons I don't think I can... It's really difficult to hang out there. I mean... Just gets so loaded. There's nothing else to do. That's what the beach is for. You just sit on your ass and you, and you drink. What else are you supposed to do over there? I don't know. I rarely went in the sun. I was under either an umbrella or in the cabana. I didn't go in the water, although I wanted to. But it's hard to walk all the way to the front of the beach without a shirt on. I feel very uncomfortable. You know how I look. I know there's lots of people that look like me. But um, I don't know. I don't know. Let's uh, so anyway, once again, uh, here I am on the 4th of July indoors as I've been for 50 years of my life sitting inside on the 4th of July being lonely and depressed. Nothing has changed. It's always been this way for me. Yes, I've had very nice 4th of July's later with some people and, you know, go to rooftops having a good time. But the afternoons on the 4th of July has always been me hanging out, contemplating life. And I realized, really, nothing has changed for me. Now, uh, there was somebody very nice on Twitter uh, after our last podcast where I told you I've been getting very depressed. And um, I'm, I'm sorry if I, I don't remember your name, but you said that, you know, crying is a sense of, is a sign of severe depression because, you know, that happened to me last Tuesday. And I, I think you're right. You know, after I read your tweet, and, you know, it's so funny when you like something. Like, I just read my friend's uh, father died, I guess, Friday, and they're having the funeral thing. Are you supposed to like that? Should I like that she goes, hey, I just have to let everybody know my father passed away. <laughs> if you, I really liked your uh, Facebook. You know, it's kind of a weird thing to like. There should be uh, another option that says, I have a tepid response to this uh, very sad comment. But... So, yeah, I didn't want to retweet it 
and I didn't want to quote tweet it because it's sad, but yeah, I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? I think I am suffering from a bout of very severe depression. And you know, I've been talking into my tape recorder, which isn't the podcast, you know, just saying some thoughts, doing the scene from Manhattan where Woody Allen's talking to his tape recorder. That's how I got the idea on the tape recorder, you know, my phone. Um, just talking about shit to myself. Trying to work stuff out without getting a real therapist because, you know, I do have trouble with the entire idea of therapists. You know, it has to be somebody good, somebody you trust, and then the fact when you realize, it's even when I was watching Seinfeld yesterday when George goes to his therapist and he makes her read the script and she didn't like the script, whatever, right? But she just, like, I'll see you next week. And then she just gets right down to business. I don't know why that part bothers me so much. I know it's a business. I know it has to be professional. But there's something about not being able to ask your therapist questions about them, which makes the whole thing fishy. Now, I understand the point because it has to be in a professional basis. But if I can't, get into the head of somebody who's questioning me about stuff and know that I really trust this person because their lives are in order, which is never going to be the case, then it's hard for me to trust anybody I'm talking to. Now, if I talk to somebody like Rachel Feinstein about my depression, I don't mind, you know, we're friends talking. I know she's a normal person. You know what I mean? I mean, she's crazy, but so am I. Uh, but she's crazy in a good, normal way, like I am in many ways. Uh, I know I'm crazy. I get that. But I'm also a normal crazy. I am normal compared to uh, people like Attell or Artie. I'm, I live a normal existence in many ways, even though I'm absolutely just as crazy as they are. But I do have some semblance of more normalcy than others. You know, I have a regular job and stuff. I mean, they're certainly more successful and they're probably smarter in the way they've, um, they are. They're probably just smarter. That's my problem. I'm not a smart guy. I do the best I can with the brain I have. Because what, what else can we do? But I know I'm not smart. That's why I stumble for words. That's why I haven't been able to work it out. But the funny thing is, I, I think I figured out why I'm so depressed. Now, I've been suicidal two times in my life the first time was when i was 17 and okay this is so messed up but the time where it really came you know i've never been really happy even though i am you would see me as a very happy fun person which i am but we all have a looming depression about us and certainly there's no reason why i shouldn't have it because things haven't really worked out well for me when I was going down my list of friends. See, I always had three things that I used to talk about outside my house in Edison, New Jersey. There was a street light, and I used to go outside late at night and talk in the street light, kind of like it was a spotlight and I was on stage, but talk about myself to myself as almost doing a comedy routine, but trying to work out my existence, almost a, a form of therapy before people knew what therapy Sending somebody to therapy wasn't a complete lunatic. And I would always talk about three things. The three things were career, even at 17. We got to work out my career, which was something in comedy or acting, right? Finance, very important to, to get out of the goddamn house and uh, 
leave the the tyranny of my father. And three, um, uh, relationships. To get married or, or find a girlfriend. And Jesus Christ, on uh, Friday night, Saturday, I guess, Saturday, I was sitting inside. Kind of, I'm like, oh my God, I haven't figured out any of the three things. And I went over my list of friends that I have, uh, that I'm in heavy contact with now. And all of them have at least achieved one to two of those three things. Every single one. I can't think of anyone like me that I've known that hasn't come up with all three. And then I got more depressed. But here's the thing. In 1982, I guess, when I was suffering from major severe depression from these three things... Again, I, and I have talked about it before, and as gay as this is, look, I've always wanted to be an actor or a comedian. Things haven't really worked out my way. So the only thing I had, you make fun of it all you want, is, is theater. That's why I love theater so much. That's all they had in high school. They didn't have, you know, the stuff they have now, like, uh, you know, maybe, a, I, I don't know, maybe that's all they still do have is a theater, but they, you know, now they have comedy classes and, you know, you could go outside. There's, there's other things you can do to be creative. There's YouTube. There's videos. There's, there's things you can do to not just be in plays, even though I loved being in the plays, but I just hated the theater people uh, because they are, um, some of them, some of them, and we've discussed this before, are uh, very selfish and very clicky. And I like to be parts of all groups. I like to... You know, I, I don't want to just be hanging out with comics all the time, and we've discussed this before. You want to, you want just different kinds of people and different kinds of experiences, and the comedy uh, clique is just as clicky as the theater people. Just as clicky, they're just funny, so you don't think about them being jerks. And the theater people, they're not very funny and um, very judgmental. And clicky because they're actors and they're they're jealous of everyone and they're nervous that somebody is going to take their job. Whereas comedians are very jealous and angry, but there's there's so some of them the good ones are so funny, you don't you don't think about it being mean. And when it is mean, it's still funny. I mean, if you're talking to a guy like Jeff Ross and he starts ranking on a, a guy that comes in as a new comic, I mean, you're gonna laugh out loud hard and not even think of it as being mean because that's that's what they do the whole thing of being a comic is like roasting a new person anyway so in 1982 i didn't get into the big spring play which was greece this has nothing to do with what's happening on september 12th i'm not trying to make up for that or anything i didn't get into it but then i wormed my way in i was in the course and i upped my role because i'm uh you know, I'm talented that way. That's, uh, that's what I'm good at. I can make a little chorus part into a big deal like I did on Crashing, if you think about it. Um, you take a little part, and you make it your own, and you do the best you can. But all my friends got in it, so I felt left out, and I have major, what's it called, FUMA, fear of missing out, FUMO, somebody called it that, the, the office, and fear of abandonment. Um, I definitely have that, and I suffer from that. And in 1982, I was very, very suicidal, and I recognized it 
in my 40s when I became that way again and had to go on medication now that they had medication for it. And I'm coming up to that point where I may need it again. I didn't think it would happen so quickly. Of course, the second time, oh, the classic scenario where I knew I needed help, I tried to kind of, I don't want to say kill myself, but whatever my way of uh, doing that is, uh, like it was like the anniversary of a Father's Day of my dad's death, you know, or, so, or maybe it was the Father's Day after my dad died. So, duh. And, you know, even though we didn't get along, there's still something. I mean, look at Artie, you know, his, his dad was a little prickly, but I mean, he got along with him. But I mean, you know, he's his dad has caused him a lot of a lot of issues. Uh, that's what dads do. Whether you like them or not, they cause a lot of mental strife. And it's not just dudes. You know, it's women, for Christ's sakes. Otherwise, I'd. You know, I'd never have sex with anybody. <laughs> How you doing? So I don't know. So I'm coming up to this third period where I am just in this very depressed state and I was thinking about what it was and it makes sense. If all my friends are filming crashing again, I'm not included. And I got lucky the last time because I was included and that was very good, but I think that's what it's stemming from. And I remember on this podcast, I said, you know what? I was trying to be professional. I was like, you know, if they don't put me in season two, I have to just be grateful that I was in season one and that was a very like thing. But I guess in the back of my mind, it's bothering me that I'm not included and it's making me upset. And that has to be what's causing it because why all of a sudden, you know, what in my life is so bad at this point that hasn't been the same for 50 years uh, that would cause this tremendous depression. And unfortunately, it's probably that. I mean, if I if I think about it, it's got to be right. It makes sense. This is these these are the things in my life that cause depression, uh, not being included. And I've told you before, you know, even sitting at the comics table, at the comedy cellar, I feel an inclusion, and it makes me very happy. And when I get into these bouts, I should probably just go there more. But I always don't want to. I don't want to ruin things, because it would be devastating if I did. And I almost did last week. You know, when I got in a, a little bit of trouble. And I've ruined so many things in my life. I'm trying not to ruin things by just not showing up. You know, I'm trying not even not to do comedy that much, but that's not helping because then you get booed off stage sometimes if you're not prepared. So, but that's the thing. All three things. I mean, it's still the same thing. I was 17, 52, going to be 53. Can't work out those three things. It's very strange. There was so much promise. I'm not sure what went wrong, but it's not like it's getting any better and it's just going to get worse. Uh, I don't really know what to do about it. I don't want to... Don't be, you know, sad for me. I'm just telling it like it is because uh, I just want you to know, uh, obviously, that when I'm doing the podcast, you know, I, I, I enjoy doing the podcast and it's very helpful. The reason I'm doing it on the 4th of July and this Tuesday is because... I'm going to do Kevin Brennan's podcast. He's still doing that free one. I do think he should give it up, but he's doing it now with, over at the comic strip, and I'm doing that tomorrow. So I thought I would change dates since there was no work today. And just uh, film it on this, uh, tape it on this 4th of July, which so many times I have been uh, alone in the summer in my house in the air conditioning, thank God watching 1776 which we played up front one of my favorite songs being obsessed with 1776 being obsessed with william daniels 
the all the actors, even uh, uh, that idiot who was uh, the, the Thomas Jefferson knew, uh, Ken Howard, who was the head of the Screen Actors Guild, who I wrote him a nasty letter. I'm like, listen, if you expect us to pay $2,000 to enter your club, you're an asshole. What do you think I'm having trouble joining for? I can't get any work. I can't get any money, dummy. And he's like, well, that's your problem. I'm like, oh, I rule the day. And then he died. I felt horrible. I felt like it was all my fault. Uh, both those guys, John Adams and the John Adams and Tom Jefferson in the 1776, both became presidents of the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, interesting. But William Daniels was my, my boy back then. Remember, this movie came out the same year as The Godfather. And I saw this one first. And when we talk about Dear Evan Hansen, which I was trying not to bring up anymore because there's so many, but I can't help it. It's just in my life. My sister saw it on Saturday. And, well, I'll tell you that in a second. But I, I, I have to keep talking about it because, you see, when a show like that, when I was talking about where has there been a musical like that, well, you know what? I just remembered today on July 4th, 1776. 1776, which I saw before a chorus line or something, which it doesn't have the, it was interesting, it's great, but it doesn't have the power. When I see a musical like Dear Evan Hansen, or next to normal that we talk about all the time that it's just so fascinating. The one I was looking for, William Daniels, who should have won for this performance. You know, it's not as intense as Ben Platt's in any way, shape, or form, but it shaped my life. Uh, Not only did it make me want to go into acting, but it probably got me into show tunes and, um, you know, acting in, in a musical and knowing that you can act in a musical and it doesn't have to be stupid and it can be bold and interesting. And 1776, in thinking of it, was probably, I mean, in a way, it's very much like Dear Evan Hansen. They were just taking like, I mean, it's certainly before Hamilton. Hamilton can go fuck itself if it thinks it's even anything like this, okay? Because, and this is what I've been trying to do my whole life is come up with uh, a plan to, yes, parody this and make light. But for Christ's sakes, in 1972, this came out. 1972, let's say that I saw it the day I was riveted watching it in black and white on Channel 9 with commercial breaks in the middle of the summer in my home in an afternoon when it was on from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, this, I was riveted, could not leave the TV because there were scenes like this. If there are no more changes, then I can assume the report of the Declaration Committee has been... Just a moment, Mr. President. Look out. I wonder if we might prevail upon Mr. Thompson to read again a small portion of Mr. Jefferson's declaration. The one beginning, he has waged cruel war. Uh, he's affected, he's combined, he's abdicated, he's plundered, he's constrained, he's excited, he's incited, he's waged cruel war. Here it is. He has waged cruel war against human nature itself and the persons of a distant people who never offended him, captivating and carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere. Determined to keep open a market where men should be bought and sold, he has prostituted that his... That suffice, Mr. Thompson. I thank you, sir. Mr. Jefferson? I can't quite make out what it is you're talking about. Slavery, Mr. Rutledge. Oh, yes. 
You're referring to us as slaves of the king. No, sir, I'm referring to our slaves, black slaves. Oh, black slaves. Why didn't you say so, sir? Were you trying to hide your meaning? No, sir. Just another literary license, then. If you like. I don't like at all, Mr. Jefferson. To us in South Carolina, black slavery is our peculiar institution and a cherished way of life. Nevertheless, we must abolish it. Nothing is more certainly written in the book of fate than that this people shall be free. I am not concerned with the book of fate right now, Mr. Jefferson. I'm more concerned with what is written in that little paper there. That little paper there deals with freedom for Americans. Oh, really? Mr. Adams is now calling our black slaves Americans. Are they not? Yes, they are. They're people and they're here. If there's any other requirement, I've never heard of it. They are here, yes, but they are not people, sir. They are property. No, sir. They are people who are being treated as property. I tell you, the rights of human nature are deeply wounded by this infamous practice. And see to your own wounds, Mr. Jefferson, for you are a practitioner. Are you not? Can you imagine, seriously, when you hear about musical theater, would you ever think that you would see a scene like that in a musical theater? For you guys that don't know about musical theater the way I do or, or you know, love it, I mean, that's unbelievable, right? And if you're a 10-year-old boy and you're watching a play that has a light song like we played up, we're waiting for the egg to hatch. And I'm like, well, that's an enjoyable song. I'll check this out. But then it has scenes like that where they're talking about slavery and and so many other amazing scenes. There's a good half, like, I could take out all the songs in this show just like I would do with Singing in the Rain and and show you what a great movie this is without it, without the music. And just show you, like, Singing in the Rain, I've talked about doing that. I'll take out all the music parts which you know, which is still great too, because they're very catchy and it's wonderful. But if you don't like musicals, I'll tell you what: I'll take out all the musical scenes, and I'll just combine the parts where they're not singing. I'll tell you, you're gonna you're gonna enjoy this movie. And here is another example of a very moving drama about how this country started, and it is factual. I've looked at all of it up, and you will have a really great drama that was made in 1972 dealing with 1776 and uh, a lot of the events that transpired and and the reality and, and the heat and they're all sweaty in this room and they're all in this room and they're sitting there and they're against each other but they're the importance of being a unanimous decision so they can make sure that we all don't have a eventual civil war which I guess was um, unfortunately in the making, even if you listen to this scene. But I mean, can you imagine that being in a musical? And that's why when I sit and they say Hamilton, I'm like, well, it's pretty good, but one, number one, it's been done. Number two, Hamilton, I don't think Hamilton has any dialogue. I think it's all singing. I can't remember. Uh, you know, like what I like about Hamilton was his difference. There'd never been anything like that on Broadway before, so it's terrific. 
but and this whole thing had been done. American independence and drama and, you know, and, and that's what makes Dear Evan Hansen so important to me. Uh, here's uh, an unbelievable, moving, social, updated social piece of, of modern-day musical history. And even though the music is great, it's, you know, it's this kid's performance and it's a, a statement on society today. And it, and, it, and it's amazing, and you just don't see that in the musicals you're thinking of when everybody says, oh, you're gay, you're gay. You know what I mean. Uh, I love 1776, and it moved me so much so that it just, uh, I don't know, maybe it stood in the way of many things because it's all I ever wanted to do is play John Adams and, and talk about the beginning of this country. And the funny thing is, is when you talk about these things, these things are still completely relevant today. And all the topics that are in my TV show, Surrounded by Morons, are all topics that we deal with today. And now that Trump is president, it's sometimes even more important to make sure that these, that we remember that only a little bit over 200 years ago, we are still, nothing has changed. It's all Congress. It's all trying to get bills passed and trying to go through different parties and people with different views. It's all exactly the same. It's all about politics and how are we going to do it? And they're like, you know what we got to do? We got to get a guy from Virginia to bring up de- uh, the, uh, an independence declaration because nobody likes you. So let's get a guy from Virginia. It's all politics. It's all figured out and, and nothing has changed. And that's what doesn't make everybody thinks everything so bad. But it's... It, the terrorist parts are that's bad, but everything else with Donald Trump being president, everything it's not that bad. This it happens. Uh, I know you think he's ruining everything, but he's mixing it up. And maybe if nothing has changed in 250 years, then we need a guy like this who's completely insane, but not you know Obama, Osama bin Laden insane uh, to mix it up. Like, well, he's doing things we've never heard of before. Well, maybe that's what needs to be done. Because we're, when I, if you watch 1776, you're like, oh, my God, they still have the same problems in Washington. It's still corrupt. It's still a, a gentleman's club, really. It's still party against party. So let's get a guy to just mix things up. And if he does it for, for four years or eight years, it won't even matter 30 years from now, he was. do we even remember George Bush was president for eight years? Who cares? But here's a guy, he's mixing it up. And maybe people take notice, like, let's, well, you know, he did, he did these things which at least were different, and maybe that's what we needed. We needed a jostling of the government. Like he said, that's how he won. It's like, I'm going to mess things up over there. Yeah, I'm going to do things that haven't been done before. Well, maybe he's not professional about it. But maybe that's what needed to happen. An outsider, a true outsider. Yeah, he's a billionaire, but he's still clearly a Washington insider. I mean, I can't get mad at this guy. This would be like me being the president. I would do everything he's doing. I would probably tweet and get angry at people. And I'm like, you know, you guys in the press, you're all mean to me. So you can go fuck yourselves. I mean, I would probably do that. Of course, that's why I shouldn't be president. But I'm just saying... We need the mix-up. We need the shake-up. Because otherwise, it's just going to get 200 years from now, in, in what, 2176, they're going to be like, wait, 
all of this is still, it's still politics, it's still corruption, it's, it, nothing's changed? How are we ever going to do anything? Maybe we need Donald Trump, as much as you may not want to hear it, as much as some of you want to hear it. <laughs> you know, here's a guy who actually, I mean, if, if, if Obama and, and Bill Clinton were running on change and nothing changed, then here's a guy who's actually trying to change. He's actually doing what he ran his campaign on. It's it's if you, if you actually years from now, I know the people that hate are always going to hate, but we might be like, well, he did what he said he was going to do. He mixed it up all right. We don't know if it's for the good or the bad. Time will tell. Wouldn't it be funny if twenty years from now we realize, well, Trump actually started that. People start going like, yeah, maybe I was too hard on him. I don't know. It's easy to be hard on him. It's really easy. And uh, but you got to look at the at our past and uh, just see, uh, you know, sometimes a little shake up makes a difference. A little Hamilton in your life in the sense of, hey, let's turn Broadway on its ass and, and bring it up to the 21st century and and do a relevant, even though it's it takes place in the past, but a, a relevant show with with rap and 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 what's even 20 years old that should have been on Broadway a long time ago. Gee, why is Broadway dying? I don't know, because they keep doing revivals of Hello, Dolly! with all white people. At least, like I said, you get a Dear Evan Hansen and you're making a a complete social statement of the 21st century. Does this show work 15 years from now? Maybe not. Maybe not, might be not as relevant. Just like a chorus line doesn't really work anymore. I mean, the, the, the music will always be great and catchy and interesting, but a chorus line, you know, right now is not nearly as relevant as it was in 1977 when they're talking about plastic surgery and, and gay people and, uh, you know, just uh, the fact that they even mention how difficult it is to be in a chorus. I know, uh, that's, a, that's a thing. I guess it is. I never thought of it before. But it's not nearly as powerful as a, a gay guy on stage talking about how hard it is being brought up gay. Now that's almost commonplace. Oh, I, I know that. And now it's it's not even that hard because people accept it. You can be in high school and be gay. And yeah, sure, people will always give you shit, but it certainly ain't as bad as when Alan Klein went to school who was afraid to come out, who's our friend. I mean, that guy, Alan Klein, years from now, people might say, hey, thanks for you know, showing some attention to it. So a kid like me, not me, (laughs) because I'm still afraid of people thinking. Uh, (laughs) Listen, I'll always be my age, and that's the way it is. But, um, you know, now a kid has to thank him and be like, yeah, I was able to just come out because, you know, it's a little bit more mainstream. It'll get better. Quite fascinating. You know, people say, oh, things haven't changed, things haven't changed. They have. Uh, First of all, uh, there's been a black president and no matter what you think, things haven't changed. Things are really bad. Racism, all that stuff. Yeah, it's bad. But you got to look at the future. And 40 years from now, well, there was a black president. We had a black president. And that was like, you know, 30 years after. I mean, it took a long time since Martin Luther King or whatever, but we had a black president. Listen to that dialogue in 1776. Can, these, can that guy Rutledge imagine having a black president? Yeah, it took a long time, but we had one. So that's the first one. You get it out of the way. 
and you you know you'll you'll move on. Things will get better. And for gay people, I mean, it's ridiculous. Now we can have a gay president. Nobody's going to care. It's not going to matter. So don't tell me that things haven't been progressing a little bit. It just takes time. We don't notice it when it's happening. You have to step back and realize where you've been. Unlike Dave Chappelle. Yeah, that's right. I don't know why I brought that up. That guy doesn't remember where he's been. I've talked about it before. I like Dave Chappelle. I'm obviously will always be angry about what happened. That's all Attell's fault. That's not Chappelle's fault, but he should have come to me first. And I, I'm not going to go over it again because it makes me sad. But um, Dave Chappelle doesn't remember where he's from. Now, he's playing Radio City. He's doing a big residency there. But he'll still come in the Comedy Cellar unannounced and take up spots for people that need the time. And that's not remembering where you came from. Enough of that. On Thursday, uh, I did, uh, we, uh, Russ Maneev, our good friend, our very good friend, who I know his name has been besmirched by me, but we're still very close. And Russ Maneev's dad finally passed away. He had a lot of, you know, he was taking care of his dad very much so for the past few years. And his dad passed away. So me, Dave, and Artie went to his funeral on Thursday in New Jersey. So I had to take off work, and it was uh, I was going to drive. Now, my car doesn't have any air conditioning, and I am not putting Artie Lang in a car without air conditioning. So I said to Attell, hey, do you mind? He do- I know he doesn't. he's not a good driver. He doesn't like driving. I said, Dave, how about since your car is you know, parked right near the Lincoln Tunnel, do you mind if we take your car and I'll drive it? He goes, no. I'm like, fine. So I rented a car. On Thursday morning, I rented a car. And I got a car, a nice SUV with air conditioning, although Artie still had trouble getting into the car because his diabetes is getting bad. And I got to say, I am a little worried. I am a little worried. He's having trouble with his legs. I mean, obviously, he doesn't exercise or anything, but neither do I. But we know he has diabetes. We know he's going through a hard time. I'm worried. Everyone loves Artie. No one. I don't want to go to another funeral. I don't want to do another Geraldo. Uh, well, how about just Geraldo? I mean, he he died from partying. Nobody wants to go to that funeral. We want Artie around. I want him around for a long time. Let me tell you something about Mr. Artie Lang. Who's the, uh, we're going to a guy's funeral. Well. I, why didn't I have my tape, my phone recording in the car? It was like the funniest ride ever, obviously. It's me, Attell, and Artie. The jokes were plentiful, and Artie pulled out a Jack Cassidy reference, which still makes me laugh today. Pulling up Jack Cassidy references from Columbo. <laughs> I don't even know where that was coming from. Obviously, I, I don't think Attell was laughing as hard, but for, for me and our show, pulling up a Jack Cassidy on Columbo reference... That was killer. It was unbelievable. That's a good car ride. I wish I had recorded it almost just because uh, I'm telling you, there's, uh, jokes came out of there that were unbelievable, but I can never remember any of them. Also, I was concentrating on driving. Uh, but we went to the funeral, and uh, thank God I went. I had to take off work, so I was supposed to take off work a half a day. Then I had to leave a little early because I had to pick up the rental car now, which was a new thing. And I got yelled at the next day from three people at work. And then I found out those three people at work that were screaming at me for leaving early for a funeral only work part-time. This includes like a 
my boss, an attorney, and some other douchebag. Unbelievable. Leaving early for a funeral on a scheduled half day made so much chaos. The place falls apart when I take a day off, and I just don't understand it. I am not an attorney. There should be no issues. I just happen to work there. I know my job is of importance, and I have a very good work ethic. But for Christ's sakes, I didn't want to take off. There was already somebody off in my department. I didn't want to take off. What are you going to do? Am I not going to go and help my friend? Screw you. Then the HR director called me the next day. He's like, we have to talk about what happened yesterday. I'm like, I am not going to talk to a firm that is not going to, that is going to give somebody so much shit for taking a day off to go to a goddamn funeral. Now, they know I don't care about death. That doesn't bother me. But this had nothing to do with death. This is about supporting a very good friend who's going through a bad time. And thank God it went because there was only like 10 of us. Now, I thought there was going to be a parade of young Asian girls there all sobbing. We are so sorry for Mr. Ross. Uh, but no, that didn't happen. He had a lovely uh, girl doctor there. Of course, of course, there were beautiful women there, but uh, they weren't Asian. Russ likes the Asians. Uh, plus, he had a high school friend there who might have been one of the hottest girls I've ever seen. I think she might be 45, but she is... Attell was just talking about it yesterday. He's like, yeah, you know, you should ask her out. And I'm like, I'd be afraid to ask. She's like 45, and she is stunning. And we don't understand how they're just friends. How could Russ Maneev and one of the most beautiful, age-appropriate girls I've ever seen be just friends? Crazy. But this girl is just absolutely, she was crazy stunning. And then we went to a restaurant afterwards uh, that his dad liked to go to this great Italian restaurant, but unfortunately in Patterson, New Jersey. That's maybe one of the worst places on the planet up there with Newark, uh, Detroit, you know, places like that. Not good. Camden. Uh, but the the food was good. It was excellent. Russ worked it all out. I just feel bad. I, I really didn't want to leave, but I know I didn't. You know, you also don't want to hit traffic. And then I was trying to put together a party for my friend Mary, who was leaving the firm. I know she's only like 24, but she became my best friend at the firm. She's been on the podcast before. Talks about basketball. Maybe we'll have her on next week before she leaves for grad school at Duke. Uh, she is hilarious to talk about basketball and the Oscars with. She gets so excited about it. Very nice girl. I was trying to throw her like a little going away party and then she had to work late and then the other people had to work and then I got back in the city and I had nothing to do. I just dropped off the rental car and went home. I was kind of pissed off. I was like trying to I was trying to please everybody that day. You know, there's certain days I'm trying to please everybody. I'm trying to do unselfish things on this day and all I did was get shit on for it. I don't understand what happened. But then... uh so then on Friday, we, I took her out, her and her Indian friend who I like, and she's very pretty at the firm, but I didn't like when she came over because she just talks about stuff. She doesn't include other people, and that's annoying. And when I'm talking about stuff, and you know, it's kind of like the way I would talk about the $6 million man on stage, and you're like, but millennials don't know the $6 million man. I'm like, well, who cares? If I set the st- scene for them and I'm explaining what the $6 million man is, then isn't that going to be funny too? Can I set up the scene? It's like, now this is a show about a guy who was an astronaut and they end up rebuilding him. So if I set it up and I'm telling them about it, well, why is that bad? I think everybody should shut up. 
But anyway, we went out, me and Mary and this Indian girl, Sam, and we drank at Tommy Bahamas, a couple of drinks. Thank God they hooked us up with the, uh, the bill a little bit. Because, you know, I'm getting nervous financially. I don't know why. And uh, then we went out to go eat something. Uh, we went to this place on the Upper East Side, and I, they made a big deal about their chicken wings, so I got to try them. They were the worst wings I've ever had in my life. They were horrible. I don't know where these people think they know how to make wings. It's, it's frustrating. I had to call the manager over. I'm like, are these popular? Like, I can't help myself. They're so Jewish. <laughs> um, so then I went home, and Saturday I really didn't do anything. It was my manager's birthday, so I thought – so I kept it open for her, and I knew she wanted to go out at night, and I, I knew my sister was coming into town to see Dear Evan Hansen, and we made – a pact that we had to meet after the show so we could discuss it. I needed to think. I was praying that she, you know, appreciated like I did, that she needed to see this, and that's why we got the tickets in the first place, and that's why, you know, it was important. And, yeah, of course, she saw it, and she was like, she, I met her outside, and she was like, uh, I got I to gotta relax. I got to take it in. But it was great because I had told her before she, she was texting. She goes, that's unbelievable. Uh, now I'm waiting to be disappointed in the second act, which unfortunately happens. Um, but uh, Ray Liotta was in her row. I remember when I was there, Alan Alda was there. Very exciting. Ray Liotta, that's cool. Karen, that's all we had. I figured I could cook up some veal chops. I sliced them really thin. That way they fry up better in the pan. I'm mixing up what I'm saying, but you, you know what I'm saying. Now, I had my brother stirring the sauce. I figured I'd get my connection from Pittsburgh. Karen. Uh, so everyone's going to see that show because they know it's hot. And Ray Liotta, why wouldn't he see it? Oh, he's a tough guy, all right, but he's still an actor. He's still a fruit. <laughs> if you think about it, you know what I mean. So he had to go see it. Everybody who's anybody, any actor has to go see it because you got to see this kid's performance. Now, today in the paper, I'm reading that a bunch of people are writing him nasty tweets online because a lot of times, you know, Broadway has become this thing where you can go wait by the stage door and the actors come out and you can wave, try and get an autograph or a photo. And uh, many of them, most of them, come outside for a second and say hello before they leave. And he doesn't come out sometimes. So people on Twitter are like, hey, fuck you. My kid was waiting for you. you you're too full of yourself. And, he, and he, he's like, I'm, look... My, the importance for me is that I put on a quality show eight times a week. And anyone that comes out of that show realizes, holy shit, how does he do this eight times a week? So that's what he's, he's like. My importance is to the people that are paying $200 a ticket. I, I'm sorry if your daughter was disappointed, but she, did she even come see the show? And if she did, isn't that the most important thing and the reason she even wants my autograph? I have to make sure that the people that are paying money for that show get the best performance they do. So sometimes I can't come out. I am emotionally dry because that line was, you know, a lot of times you can't walk down the street because they block it off because the lines are so huge to see a big star like him. I remember they were doing that for Jim Parsons from the Big Bang Theory. and That guy sucks. So the line starts about a half hour before the show lets out just waiting at the do- the stage door. And 
I said to my sister, I'm like, well, I don't know why they're waiting now. He's not going to come out for a half hour. He probably has to power down for a long period of time after each show, especially doing it two times today. And can you imagine the nerve of people? They're thinking like, oh, he's not coming out. He's a prima donna. If you've actually seen the show, you can understand why he might not come out, especially after doing two shows that day, which I can't even believe he does. And remember, if he doesn't show up one day, he knows he's disappointing everybody. So, wow, you know, all, all those people that wait for the people outside, I mean, it's, it's, it's gotten really bad. It's out of control. But I remember, you know, when I was there with Gaffigan and Kiefer Sutherland and Chris Noth, Jason Patrick, and they were all heading out, Brian Cox even, it was all those five. And they were waiting. They'd go out one at a time. This was after the matinee. they go out, get there for two minutes, and then they come back in just so they can say hello, which is the right thing to do. But, but those guys weren't putting these emotional performances together. Yeah, they're doing some serious work, and it's grueling, but nothing like this kid. And that's why he's deserving all the accolades. And again, I know we just keep talking about my sister called me on Sunday. She goes, I want to come on your podcast and talk about Dear Evan Hansen. I go, all right, Beth, two things. First of all, you're banned from the podcast. Um, most of the people have said your sister sucks on the podcast. Because she did. Remember when she was here, like Thanksgiving or whatever it was. We all know my niece Dory's excellent. Liza's banned. Beth is banned. And um, Billy to be determined, my nephew. But yeah, I told Beth she's banned from the podcast. Then she started to get angry. Because she stinks. She's like, no, I was sleepy. I'm like, then he shouldn't have done it. Because it makes me look stupid and it makes uh, the people that like my show uh, think you suck, which you do. And I don't know if I can do another show talking about Dear Evan Hansen. And this is on you because you chose to be in the worst production of a play ever, let alone the fact that it was 9 to 5 to miss Dear Evan Hansen. Because I understand me missing going to Orlando because I want to practice because I want to do well when I open for Sarah. But you missing the greatest American play in years to do the worst play I've ever seen, I'm not sure if it's the same. And uh, that's the name of that tune. So we went out, and then I took her to the wing place, Lansdowne Road, and I said, hey, let's go to the wing place because she never had it. And, uh, boy, I was batting a 1,000 that day because she realized the play was as good as advertised and the wings were as good as advertised. I'm telling you, I'm like 25-0 and 0 there. Everyone I've said, they, I know where the best wings are, nobody has disagreed yet. And I needed those wings because also my friends Kenny and Jody who just left the building, which has also been making me depressed. All my friends are leaving my building. Um, they took me out for lunch. Well, I, I paid for it, but we went out to lunch at a place called Bar Nacho, a New Mexican place on 2nd Avenue, where Kenny said, the wings here are amazing. Well, the wings there suck too. And why are you having wings in a Mexican place? I don't know. He said they were special. They're not. I don't understand why people know I love wings. And then they, I, I don't know where people, people are thinking. The problem is he's never been to the other place. And I think once he goes there, he'll just shut up by saying these wings are good. I'm like, Kenny, you don't even, you don't know anything about wings you might know about stocks but you know nothing about buffalo wings so shut up i can't take it i can't take it when people tell me oh the wings are amazing there and i'm like you know if you're gonna bring me there you better not be talking shit because it's gonna piss me that depressed me 
that I had two bad ones. That's why I had to go to that wing place. If Beth said she didn't want to go there, I was gonna. I'm gonna have to go there. I gotta. I gotta put ten wings in me, quick. Like Newman uh, when he when he was eating the broccoli, and then he had to get a shot of honey mustard sauce fast. <laughs> that was me because again, I am a fat guy. Although I appear slim in slimming clothing, I am a fat guy. I mean, when they showed that picture of Governor Christie on the beach yesterday, I was like, I am not too far from that. This is not good. And I got to come up with a plan, although I do not know what it is. And not going to Soul Cycle ain't helping. I got to find another way to work out. Anyway, Beth and I are going down the street. We're on the street together. It's my sister. And Attell comes up and he can't go, go back to Springfield. <laughs> I, he recognized us. And I'm like, Hey, shut up, asshole. <laughs> We're just yelling at each other on the camp. It was so funny that he saw us on the street. <laughs> my sister's like, who was it? I'm like, it was a tell. He didn't even know it was my sister. He just thought I was with some random girl. That was so funny. Because I was going to call him once we were there anyway. I'm just glad she liked the wings. Really, isn't that the most important thing? When you tell people that, okay, this is these are the best wings. Like when I tell people that pizza place, I'm like, this is good pizza. It's very good pizza. I think it's the best pizza in Manhattan, but pizza is an, a, a, a very individual taste. Some people like thin crust. Some people like thick crust. Some people like the sauce. Some people like more cheese. So you can't say this is the best, but I'm telling you that the best buffalo chicken wing, the way a buffalo chicken wing is supposed to be made is at this place, Lansdowne Road. And really, they should be giving me money for all the advertisement I do. Now, oh, I just had, uh, I didn't want to eat anything because I got so full yesterday, so I just had um, Doritos and a grape soda. Am I black or am I just 10? What's the matter with me? I'm having some water now. Now, Sunday, I said, I got to get out of the house, so I'm going to go to that bar downtown where I know my friend's working, you know, the place I like. I'm going to go downtown. I'm going to go to the bar. I got... All right, now I, got, now I got big news. My birthday show that I'm just opening for the public on August 8th down at the Village Underground, which I think I'm going to call the Dave Jeskow Comedy and Magic Show with no magic. Um, Kevin Brennan's the host, which I'm a little nervous about only because I wonder if people won't want to do it because Kevin Brennan's host. I'm basically saying I hope Lenny will show, even though Kevin's the host. I love that Kevin's hosting it. I love that he wants to do it. I guess he's already being a little annoying, but it's like, that's on me. You know, I know what's coming if I ask Kevin to be the host. Or he, you know, said it, and I said, that would be great. Uh, that's why Liz said, wait, oh, is that still happening? And what's happening? Because he was like, wait, it tells not doing it. I'm like, no, he, he'll be there. He'll go on at some point, but he's not doing like a set, which is a little disappointing, which also depressed me. Like, there's all these things that were just, you know, building. And... uh so, you know, I'm just trying to come up with something fun before we see this legendary wid, the prop comic. But anyway, I met a girl down at this bar. Now, she's got tattoos and piercings up the wazoo, but I think she's single. She's all goth, but I think she's single. And the bartender said she actually liked me, and I just want to bring her home to my mother so my mother will finally have a heart attack. That should do it. Really, bringing this girl home should be the end of it, and then we can just, you know, move on with our lives. Um, but she's very sexy, but she works at this store down on fourth Avenue. And she told me, and I told her what I was planning on wearing 
for the birthday show, which was the white linen shoot. Well, change of plan. She's getting me, which they sell at this place, a sequined jacket, which when you touch the sleeve, it turns colors. Drop the mic. Yeah, you touch the sleeve. She's like, well, you'll get molested all night. I'm like, it's worth it because this jacket's going to be badass. You touch. I'm not going to show that to everybody who walks in. Hey, check it out. That's going to be amazing. That's the new suit I'm wearing. The sequence jacket. And maybe a hat. I never pulled off a hat before, but I might. And that way, if somebody's sitting behind me, they go, excuse me, madam, would you kindly remove your chapeau? But, uh, yeah, so that's big news. The jacket I will be wearing for the birthday show is going to be epic and legendary. But I'm trying to figure out the birthday show, and hopefully it'll be great. Again, it doesn't, It's a, you know, I don't know. I'm nervous about it because I don't know really what I'm doing. I just want to have a party, and I, I don't know what I'm doing. But I guess you have to do a show. I mean, they want to make money. They want to make business. So I don't know. I don't know. That's fine. Anyway, so I'm down at this bar, and I'm having a good time with this girl. So now my friend Lisa Ullman calls me, and this girl Jody Lieberman, who I have a crush on, who came to New York to meet a husband. But we went on a couple dates, and she had, I guess I'm not a husband material, which I get. And so they're calling. So Rachel says, hey, your, your girls are here at the cell. I don't know who she's talking about. I said, here's where I am. They're like, oh, I'm going to tell them to come by. And I'm like, do not tell them to come by. I do not want them here. I don't like a lot of people at this bar. This is my place. And I don't want the comedy crowds. That's what we were talking about before. I want to separate myself sometimes from the comedy to be with other kinds of people. And these goth people or people at this bar that I go to, which is very goth, and I'm not goth in any way, shape, or form, but I told you I like running with totally different crowds. And if my friend Caitlin can't handle a guy with spiked hair sitting at the bar and she gets so uptight about it, well, then I'm doing my job right because I have a lot of different friends for different reasons that do different things, and that's the fun of living in New York. That's why I don't live in Los Angeles because you only have one type of people that live in Los Angeles, my acting friends, and that's it. And, and, and Andrew Hirsch, <laughs> you know, my friend who, who works on iCardi, but he's still in the business. But I love him. And uh, that's the beauty of living in New York is, is, is this bar and the people that work there. And that's why I hang out. So I don't want them in there. And they're like, I don't understand. And they, they come anyway. And I say, and they call them. I'm like, I don't want you to come here. I, I was like really honest with them, even though it's a dick move. And they and they came by anyway. And then I had to leave this girl who I made it clear. I don't want to sit with you. And I, I had to leave this girl. And then we sat somewhere else. And they were talking. It was okay time. And I'm like, well, I guess we're through. And Jody had to leave. And then Lisa wouldn't leave. And I'm like, no, you should go too. Please take her with you. We had a good... She's like, no, I want to hang out. I'm like, no, we're done. We had a good time. I'm going back to hang out. So I want to talk back to this uh, girl with the piercings and stuff. Whose name is uh, Paradox. (laughs) Oh, that's the best. But they thought it was the funny. They just don't understand not hanging out with just comics. So they think it's the greatest thing. I'm like, you know, and for, I, I think 
if I look back at myself, I'm like, that is funny with, uh, you know, Jewy fat bald Dave Jessica hanging out with a paradox. Uh, <laughs> well, that's her stripper name, right? Uh, she's not a stripper. I'm just saying. Anyway, uh, so then uh, Lisa comes and then I'm like, and I kick her out. And if the bouncer's like, dude, that's cold. Why are you doing that? And um, the bartender's uh, boyfriend is like, dude, why are you doing it? I'm like, fine, come in and have another drink. We, we sit down, she have another drink. She goes, I'm tired. I'm like, oh, my God, you're like the worst person ever. And she says, why are you making a big deal out of it? Because you just made a big deal that you wanted to stay and hang out. And now you're saying you're tired. Just go home. And I thought she was already home. She was the one who set me up by downward spiral. I don't want to see her anymore. Move back to L.A. where you belong with your L.A. folk. It's annoying. I, I can't listen to her talk about UCB all day and all that kind of stuff. I don't hate her. I just don't want to see her every day. And remember, the reason I don't like her is because the last time she ruined Los Angeles for me, the last time I was out there, I was supposed to stay with her, and she forgot and gave the room to somebody else. And that's why I'm still not over that. Because that's not cool. So... Those guys already ruined my time when I was having a really nice night. I got there at like 9. I ended up staying until 3. And then they're stupid. And I'm having some financial difficulty this month. And sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. So I was trying to balance out the money. I was putting it on a different credit card. And their machine went out. And she's like, you're going to have to go to the bank and take out cash. That was the last thing I wanted to do. So I had to do that. And I went there and I threw it in her face. And then I left. I was furious. Their stupid machine doesn't work. Are you fucking kidding me? In this day and age, you're not able to take credit card. Your machine blanked out and you don't have a backup plan. You don't have something that takes credit cards. So the most important thing that you do in life, this is like the idiots at my law firm who didn't change their billing system until it was 15 years too late because they didn't want to spend $100,000 15 years ago, and now they've had to spend $250,000 now because their thing is so out of date, they can't do anything. How, if you're a Jewish law firm that only cares about money, how is your billing system not completely up to date? That's the most important thing you would think. And these idiots, they have one little credit card machine. The one thing, if I managed a place or owned a place, I'd be like, Here's the backup machine. Here's a little square in case the electricity goes out that you can put on your phone that so you can still take credit card payments. Because understand, my bartender friend, the most important thing here is that we get paid and make money and keep our hugely humongous rent in the West Village so we can pay it. Oh, my God, that drives me insane. Happens to the dry cleaners, too. Fucking idiots have this little credit card machine. Get a better one. It's the most important. Oh, it's not working. I don't know what's happening. Oh, we like cash. Nobody uses cash anymore. Figure out PayPal. Figure out Venmo. Think of an alternate plan when your electricity or phone line goes out so people are not leaving there without paying. And remember, no one carries cash anymore. Why do I even have to say this? It's unbelievable. So now I'm just pissed off, but I'm drunk. And I go home and I'm like, I got to go down the shore now or I'm never going to go down the shore because I'll sleep until 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So I go home. I pack a little bit. I call for my car. 
I try and sober up in my head, and I drive all the way down the shore. I'd maybe take a half hour nap in a parking lot on the parkway, but I was wide awake and not that loaded, but I was up all night. Now it's 6.30. I park at my friend's house. I text him. I'm like, I know I was supposed to get here at 8, but I'm early. Fortunately, they were there, so I was able to take like an hour and a half nap before we got underway, did the bike riding and all that kind of stuff. And then we went to the cabana again, got majorly messed up. I had, what did I have? Uh, I didn't open with beer. Oh, I opened with like a hard iced tea, which was just okay. Then I moved to beer. So I had three beers and then a margarita because he's got that Jimmy Buffett machine. Remember, I like that. So I had margarita, but we kept doing tequila shots and that's the killer. So I was loaded. But I really wanted to go because I knew I was going to be tired and I can't stay very long. And once his wife starts to drink, things get bad. So I called my friend Joe and I knew he was having a barbecue. I'm like, I'm going to come because I'm hungry. So I go to his house and I sober up like in my head. You know, I'm like, okay, I can do this. And I go to his house and I eat like a pig. It's ridiculous. It's disgusting. Well, I'm just shoveling it down. It's delicious. His wife made, she had cheeseburgers, but I put chili on top. She made chili. I put it on top of the cheeseburger. That alone was unbelievable. Then she made this unbelievable chicken, on, all on the barbecue, you know, with this beautiful, like, soy sauce and, and barbecue. It was great. Um, you know, just everything was good. Uh, potato salad. You know, all the traditional July 4th summer barbecuing stuff, but she just keeps it coming. Then shrimp. And then I had three sodas, and I put vodka in the uh, celery tonic, which they get for me, which is so polite. And I'm putting vodka in it because I'm still like, ah! And Cousin Frankie was there. And I was giving him so much shit. And I got to stop doing that. I don't know. I love Cousin Frankie a lot. And um, I was just a little drunk, and I was just giving him shit from the last time from the uh, horse track and the, fa- the fact that his wedding is on that day. I'm so angry his wedding's on that day because I want to go. I really like him so much. Um, I got to relax you know, when I... Sometimes I go too far with the, uh, oh, let's keep up the, the fact that we're angry at each other. I'm so not angry at him. Um, and I really do wish him the best. He's a, he's a delightful guy, and uh, I'm happy who he's marrying. So how about that? Anyway, then I just was so full, I really thought I was going to throw up. I really thought I was going to throw up. Um, so I had to take a walk around the block. Joe was nice enough to uh, take a walk with me because I, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. But I didn't throw up. Oh, plus I had like a Coke, like a can of Coke, a can of celery, and then a bunch of water. Like I was just filling up on liquids too, and that was the killer. And I just, plus, you know, I was going on no sleep. So I was kind of a mess, but I worked it out. Then they had, I had ice cream and, or chocolate mousse and coffee, more water. Ugh, ugh. Then they lit up some fireworks, and then I went home uh, with no air conditioning. But sometimes, as long as I'm alone in the car with no air conditioning, I'm heading home. Having both the windows open is kind of fun. I feel like I'm in a car with no, like, rooftop. You know, I feel like I'm in a convertible going home. My hair was all over the place, but I had my Mickey Mouse comb. I got it from Disneyland back in the 70s. And I came over to Joe's house. I go, I'm just combing my hair like Danny Zuko in Greece, right? You know? And, um... Then I came home, and then Atel and I, I, I went to bed for like two hours, then Atel called, and we talked for like two hours, and then I had to watch TV because I wasn't tired, and then I finally slept until 11.30 and watched the uh, 4th of July Joey Chestnut regaining his title 
in the hot dog eating contest. And, you know, they didn't air the women's eating contest, which, again, hey, ladies, what's happening? Are we just getting more sexist and more sexist? Not showing the women's eating competition? ESPN, you're just looking for a lawsuit. Now, on Saturday afternoon, I was watching a couple of what's happening. You heard me right with Raj, Rerun, and Dwayne. And I saw one that I was like, shit, should I record this or can I find it online? I was able to find it online because, um, you know, the recording from the TV isn't as uh, good a sound as we need. And I just wanted certain parts. So I'm going to do the best I can with this. It's just a, a YouTube because I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to do the podcast today, you know. Um, I didn't have my usual preparation stuff, even though I am kind of prepared. I'm using more YouTube stuff where I normally just use audio clips. But there was an episode of What's Happening. Now, we all know the Doobie Brothers one. This isn't that. But it had all of our favorite people on from this podcast that we love in our podcast. In this one episode, it just kept building and building. And the gag is that Rerun, is it's the sixth episode of the first season. So it's 1976. The year is important in many ways. The premise is that Rerun is going to audition for a Bridge Burger commercial where he's going to be seen eating a burger in every bridge in every state, in all 50 states. And um, he's going to audition, and they have to bring D to the audition because Mama is in Phoenix taking care of an ill relative. Now, I've been looking it up, and I don't know why Mama wasn't in this particular episode, but I have been looking it up, and Mama left the show after the second season because she was would fight with the producers all the time because she didn't like the direction they were what they were doing with black actors in the show at this time. So she chose her integrity over money and of course died a slow death of diabetes Um, because she was overweight. Now I'm going to have to call bullshit on her. I appreciate her, the idea of fighting for the cause uh, fighting for black things, but I think she was missing a bunch of stuff. Uh, Number one, not realizing that Dave Juskow is sitting at home in New Jersey along with the rest of us and watching a black show. We're watching a black show of of a couple of black actors that are in in South Los Angeles uh, trying to get along. Um, Not good times, a different form of good times, Uh, a different more... Out of the ghetto, they they live in a house. They have a more suburban life in a way, even though they're poor, than our, uh, you know, something like Good Times, which I guess came out around uh, maybe Good Times a little earlier. But I'm saying she's missing the point that I'm watching. Maybe I'm not getting, you know, this is the kind of show it was. They're making a comedy that where blacks aren't really blacks. This is coming out the wrong way. They're making a comedy where I'm not thinking of them as being black. I understand that they're black, but I'm looking at them in another way that they're just like anybody else. I know this sounds horribly racist, but you understand what I'm saying. There weren't a lot of black shows. I didn't have a lot of black friends. Here's a very enjoyable show I liked very much. They're not making fools of themselves that they are black. 
So Mabel King, you're pretty much a piece of shit. Um, they were trying to do what Cosby was doing, what he ended up doing in 84 or 82, whenever that started. I think it was 84. With the Cosby show saying, yeah, we're black. We're going to talk about being black. We're going to talk about our black roots. But we're basically, we're black people in, uh, it, we're not bringing up the fact, the fact that we're black isn't the issue of the show. You know? And, that, and that's why what's happening was uh, interesting and successful. It was a moderate success. But at least they, they weren't trying to say they were black. They were just saying, we're people. And in a way, in New Jersey, if you know, you got people like me and Artie watching, we're like, oh, this is, this is interesting because you know, we're from a very prejudiced time and a very prejudiced community. I think she missed the point. I'm like, I don't know. What, what were you looking to have happen? You're the idiot who makes everybody look stupid by walking out and they got to make an explanation why you're gone. Because she was like, I don't think they should have a divorced mother. I'm like, are you are you crazy? I made fun of that. That is the black community. It's very rare when they have uh, father sticks around. It's a fact. It's not prejudice. You can talk about as prejudice as that is. Even Bob Costas brought up in that thing. We're not going to go into that again, and I don't want to get into this very racist discussion, but I'm really trying not to make it racist. I'm just saying, Mabel King, you know, you're an idiot. You're like the Robert Reed. You're like fighting. You're an actress. You get a fucking role. And, they, and then you're arguing with everybody. You're making some money. You're on a good show that, that, that has black people in it. It's 1976. How many shows have black people in them? A, a, an entire cast of black people. You fucking idiot. You're missing the point. Let's start somewhere before you start battling your situation. If you got a problem, why don't you make your own show? And, and make it more complicated and see and see if it works that way. But do it in between. Make enough money so you can make your point somewhere else, dummy. Fucking idiot. I don't know. You know, when I'm sitting here going, God, I wish I was in the second seat of crashing. And this whore is complaining because she's on a hit network television show making money. And then leave. Well, I can't do this. Fuck you. Fuck you to every actor. And I'm not treating you like a black woman now. I'm treating you like an actor. And you look stupid. Well, I got a part in the jerk. Maybe that'll pay. I mean, oh, drives you crazy, right? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Jeez, I don't like the way this is going. If I was on a TV show where somebody, something was changed. I'm on the show. Let's just use crashing as the example. And Pete makes me say, hey, you know, the Holocaust was a myth. Uh, if it's a line of dialogue, obviously I would question it, but I'd probably end up doing it because it's my job as an actor. I'd be a little upset by it, but I would, you know, I'd whatever, right? However, if I realize that the show is truly going in this very anti-Semitic fashion, well, that's a different story. But it's not my job to tell the producers who weren't kind enough to hire me to tell them how to run their show. Unless it's something like I just said, which it was not. If these uh, now granted they were Jewish writers, so that's probably why she hated them, just like Red Fox when he's like, You're gonna fire everybody who fired he had those black writers for like two days. He goes, Get me my Jews back. You know, Jews invented the show they came up, so that was probably bothering her. But unfortunately, look. 
you got a show on the air with an all-black cast. That's a big deal back then. A big deal. Start somewhere and then figure it out later after you've um, made all the money you can from these evil networks. Now, with all that being said, here's the scene where Raj is trying to be Rerun's manager. He's trying to be his talent manager and get him a job on this commercial. And he has to bring D along because for some reason in this episode, Mom's away again. I don't know why. I've been looking up why she was not particularly in this particular episode, why they had to keep making excuses. But here's what happens. John, put that down and get over here. (laughs) Now, John, okay, is an actor, is is a little boy, maybe around D's age, who's looking at the burger. He's there for the addition, and his uh, helicoptering mother is saying, John, put that down and let me, you know, come over here and I'm going to brush your hair. Now, we don't know who John is yet, but when I saw it, I was like, okay, i got to play this. <laughs> now, here come... Uh... Now, D is seeing the mother brush this kid's hair and she says this why didn't you comb her hair before she came (laughs) he is not a she he is a he well she looks like a she to me (laughs) are you uh, all together are you (laughs) Is D not one of the greatest characters in television history? I mean, that's really good writing. D was amazing. But let's continue. Why couldn't you have left D at home, Raj? Because I promised my mama I'd take her every place. She won't get in the way. She better not ruin my chance of getting this job. She won't. Don't worry. Are you an actor? Certainly, are you? Uh, no, I'm with Rerun. He's the actor. Oh, is he? Do you know who it is yet? This is the little kid whose mom was brushing his hair, named John. And now he's going to have a little talk with Rerun. How do you do? John Stevens. I just want to wish you all the luck in the world. I know we're both up for the same part. You want to arm wrestle for it? How droll. <laughs> have you ever done a little theater? You can't fit into a little theater. <laughs> Uh, have you ever taken any acting classes? Uh, no, I act by ear. <laughs> well, I've studied the method under Strasberg. He's taught me to hide behind the character. My favorite role is Stanley Kowalski in Streetcar. Stella! Stella! Who is that kid? Who is that kid? Big John has a problem, as you can plainly see. One minute he's 40, the next he's 33. Big John keeps a changing before your very eyes. He's 25, and then 19, then 12 years old in size. Big John. That's right, it's our friend Little John. Big John, Little John, Robbie Riz. I don't know, dude, what's happening? 
I bet he wasn't uh, billed, unfortunately. It's funny, if they made it now, they'd be like, Robbie Rist joins the cast. So it's our good friend Robbie Rist, who was uh, the first person that uh, they're like, oh, my God, that's hilarious. What's your favorite role? Tootsie. <laughs> uh, John Stevens. Oh, oh. That's the second person. Did you know who that was? Yes, here we are, sir. Come along, John. This is your turn. Oh, yes. Well, I see that John has been in All in the Family, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, had a bit part in The Omen, and has done three commercials. Yes, that's right. Well, your credits are very impressive, but you've been seen too much. We're looking for a new face for television. Then I'm your man. You said new, not ugly. (laughs) He's such a genius. It's Dick Van Patten, everybody. The next person to come out of the woodwork, Dick Van Patten. All right, so let's look at the years. 1976. So Robbie Riss is two years removed uh, from Cousin Oliver and the Brady Bunch, and probably right after this started doing Big John, Little John, and maybe somebody saw this because his character's name is John, cast him in Big John, Little John. Now Dick Van Patten is one year before he does High Anxiety. I mean, I'm sure he, he was in television for, apparently even as a kid, but one year before Mel Brooks starts using him, and then uh, one year before Eight is Enough, which uh, makes him start. So, you know, he was just a character actor. Just like that. I was surprised because I thought this would be after that, after High Anxiety and after Eight is Enough. It must have been just before Eight is Enough. And um, somebody must have just seen him, I guess. I don't know. It's just uh, this, this was his year. Meanwhile, he looks older than I am at this point. Thank you very much. But, but wait, he can work without his glasses. I, I could pull my hair back. I'm awfully sorry. <laughs> you should be. <laughs> now, who is next? Me. I, I'm Freddie Stubbs. Oh? Oh, yes, yes. We got an application on you in the mail yesterday. Let's see. Uh, Stubbs. Uh, Fred. Uh, oh, you know what? You, you, you didn't list your uh, experience. Oh, well, no. of course not. We understood that you wanted someone who hasn't had too much exposure. Well, Mr. Stubbs has limited his experience to the Broadway stage. My favorite role is Stanley Kowalski in Streetcar. Stella! Oh, oh Stella, you are. Oh, you it's funny that if Dick Van Patten is playing the straight guy, which makes sense. Um, Mel Brooks sees him. He goes, "Hey, this guy's hilarious. I got to use him in High Anxiety." You've done no film work at all. Well, he did a little thing called Jaws. <laughs> what part did you play in Jaws? I was his main meal. <laughs> Well, you see, the actor that we're going to hire for this commercial will get to do the eating. You'll enjoy that. If he enjoys this junk, he's a better actor than I thought. <laughs> Dean. Raj. What's in here anyway? <laughs> you have to excuse uh, my little sister. She speaks but knows not what she said. No, 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 no. That's quite all right. Uh, tell me, little girl, what do you think is in there? Something that's supposed to be meat. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Reynolds, could you come out here, please? Suppose I were to tell you that that is all meat, 100% meat. So? So, That means that it's very good. Oh, yeah? A jackass is 100% meat, but I don't see anybody standing in line to eat one. (laughs) I mean, that was great when you were a kid. That was, D was the funniest. And I guess we were about the same age, so she was even funnier. Delivering all those really funny lines with a straight face, she was a good actress. 
But the guy that comes out, Mr. Whoever he just said, the, the head boss of Bur- Bur- Bridgeburger, the CEO. Maybe we should go now. I'll take my little sister home, then you can interview Mr. Stubbs. <laughs> Bob Bridgeburger, and cross over to pleasure. Cross over to your chair and sit down, please. <laughs> Call me Mr. Claxton? Yes, yes. Uh, I, I want this little girl to meet Mr. Reynolds. Well, who, who is Mr. Reynolds? Who is Mr. Reynolds? Oh, who is Mr. Reynolds? <laughs> Why, he, he is the president of Bridgeburger Incorporated. The president? Uh, first you take a piece of meat, then you bought it into me, then you shove it in a box. Shove it? Yeah. You, you shove, shove it? it? No, we don't shove it. We never <laughs> shove it. We, we place it carefully in a bun. Who is that? Who is Mr. Reynolds? Well, it's Larry Tate from Bewitched. I'm telling you, this one particular episode is chock full of so many scene stealers that we've talked about on this show like a hundred times. It's unbelievable. All in this one little scene. Robbie Riss, Dick Van Patten, and David White. Wasn't that his name? Played Larry Tate. Unbelievable and all chock full in one scene from what's happening in 1976. Uh, Larry Tate, let's say only four years removed from Bewitched at this point. Fascinating. Everybody's at two to four years. Like that all, it's not like it was 10 years before or after anybody. It's all in this one little scene. So odd. Is this why you call me in here? No, 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 no. Look at her face. <laughs> it is an advertising man's dream. That face could sell anything. I think that we should make that little girl Miss Bridgeburger. Make her Miss Bridgeburger? You're right, it's a terrible idea. I love it. Oh, so do I. <laughs> little girl, what is her name? Oh, D. D. Thomas. D. D. Thomas, isn't that cute? Lovely. Little girl, how about it, little D.D.? My name is not D.D., it's D. And I don't want to be any Miss Bridgeburger. But why not? You'll be as famous as Ronald McDonald and Rodney Allen Rippey. <laughs> well, she'll be as famous as Rodney Allen Rippey. Then you want her next line to be like, Rodney Allen Rippey? Where do I sign? What's wrong with that? They don't have to eat jackass meat. <laughs> Ooh, child! Jackass meat? No, no, no. All right, so let me move on a little bit. So they're going to try and get the deal because it's $20,000. So they have, since the mother is away, they commissioned Shirley to play her mother in a wig. 11. Next year. Oh, wait, wait, wait. That's the best line I wanted to show you. All right, so Larry Tate is now talking to... Well, here she comes down the stairs. As, uh... All right. What is you looking at? Looks like an oak tree. So now Larry Tate is talking to Dee's mother, played by Shirley. Hey, you what a wonderful daughter you have. I know you can't. Uh, uh, yes. Exactly how old is she? Around 10. Around 10? Is she 10 already? Yes, she's 10. <laughs> and when is she going to be 11? Next year, fool. <laughs> That's my favorite. Whenever they have those uh, kind of... Next year, fool! Uh, that'll make me laugh every time. I remember there was an episode of 227 where uh, some guy was doing stand-up comedy and like you know their best friend was like, get off stage, fool! Another sassy little girl. There's nothing better than the sassy little black girls who just had uh, the really good dialogue come out of their mouths written by, ironically, Jewish uh, comedians, I guess. Dee was amazing, let's face it. I mean, she was really, really funny. 
She was funnier than all the guys there. I don't know what happened to her. I didn't look her up. I know when they did What's Happening Now, which, by the way, I read that Raj was trying to bring the show back. It lasted three seasons, and he was trying to bring the show back desperately. And the reason why they finally bought What's Happening Now, because they were like, no, 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 is because of the success of the Cosby show. Because it came back in about 85, 86. And because of the Cosby show, they bought back What's Happening Now. They're like, let's do what was kind of 10 years before the Cosby show, where maybe Cosby was even saying, I want to do this, uh, but I want to do it a little bit more upscale. And now that we know Bill Cosby's such a piece of shit, maybe he ripped it off from what's happening. Maybe he's not as innovative as we were led to believe, since they're taking away his PhDs like clockwork every day. Every university is like, we've changed our mind, and you're not very smart, and you're certainly not a doctor. But anyway, that's what I wanted to share with you today, those clips, because, uh, I don't know, it made me laugh and uh, it actually made me happy when I saw all those people and I was thinking it was 1976. 1976, our bicentennial year. Now, that was a hell of a year. Uh, But uh, this being July 4th, I thought it was... uh, uh, a good piece to play. And I suppose, well, I think that's pretty much all I had to say today. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the uh, July 4th Independence Day emergency podcast. As you know, I'm doing Kevin Brennan's tomorrow. I don't know when that comes out. The Misery Loves Company podcast, which I really think he should do away with. But if he chooses to do it and he asks me to do it, I will do it because, uh, well, I like Kevin and he's doing me a solid on uh, August 8th. So why not? Uh, then I got to, and also I couldn't do it on Thursday because then I'm doing, a, I'm performing, I'm doing comedy before the roast battle at the New York Comedy Club on Thursday. I don't know who the roast battle for, but I'm doing a set just before, like at 10.30 at night. I don't know how that's going to go because I haven't performed in a week, but oh, I always hope for the best. And then I really just don't have that much going on. Just trying to get the birthday show together and grease together and get our lives back together before, well, before uh, everything just goes bad, you know. Before I reach 60, is that such a bad thing to do? And try and make everybody happy along the way and uh, do some things to be a good friend and a good son and whatever else, a good uncle I need to be. So that is our show for today. We'll come back next week with uh, maybe a little something special. Try and get a nice guest, something brewing. Although I feel like this was a, you know, started out a little, little Dickensian in a way, uh, maybe. I don't know. But uh, they picked it up, played some classic clips, had a good time, made my day. And I'll see ya. It's great to be an American this weekend, July 4th, everybody. Have a great week and a happy July USA. So long, everybody. See you next time. The Dave Jones Podcast.